Now it is true that God in this portion of scripture is describing those people who are running from him, who are suppressing the truth about him. But please understand, though you may have never walked down this road, you and I have the exact same capacity. Why? Because we have all inherited this exact same Adamic nature. And when Paul is describing the pagan Gentile, he's describing what capacity you and I have. There's not a sin on this list that you are not incapable of committing. At the end of the first chapter of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul talks about the consequences of idolatry, which is putting anything above God. He says cultures that do this invariably fall into a downward spiral of sin, and unless they turn from that sin, that God actually turns them over to even worse sin. When people no longer acknowledge God, they begin to act out on their depraved minds, committing unrighteous, wicked, and evil acts. Their evil nature is marked by greed. And then Paul begins to list other characteristics and behaviors that comprise these depraved individuals, including envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Today on Search the Scriptures, Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina, concludes his look at the fruit of a society that's been given over to a reprobate mind, and he begins by looking at two sins of the tongue. They are gossips, and then he adds slanderers. Uh, this is similar to malice, but it's different. A malicious person uses his hands to hurt. A gossip uses his tongue to hurt. Please note, he doesn't say they gossip, Christians gossip, but the verb to be is implied. They are gossips. He's describing their character, their person. And the Greek word gossip sounds like it is. If you remember in high school English, you had a, a, a word called onomatopoeia. Say it, onomatopoeia. It's kind of a neat word. And in onomatopoeia, you remember what that was? It's an English word that means like it sounds. Like the word sizzle or hiccup or animal sounds like bark or moo or, or quack. Well, this word for, for gop is, gossip is psusthes. I didn't say it real well, but psusthes. And we kind of, in the King James, translates it whisperer. We say, I'm going to tell you something. Gossip. Getting ready to tell you something very often. And by the way, if you want to fend that off, just say before they tell you, can I quote you on that? Can I quote you on this? Then he adds slanderers. This is an individual who wants to ruin people publicly. Gossip is more secret defamation, where slander is more of a public defamation. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 5, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. There are people who will slander you, but they will especially slander the man of God. Why? Because they want to destroy that person's character. Someone recently took out a subscription for a pornographic men's magazine for me, and they sent it to the church mailbox. Now, if that was you, God will catch up with you. Now, I don't know what their motivation was. Maybe they wanted to make me angry. Maybe they wanted to tempt me. Maybe they thought I would be, you know, picking up some package and they wanted to embarrass me with the postmaster. The truth is, in the 23 years I've been your pastor, I've never gotten the mail and I've never had a mailbox key. 
But people will slander, and there's more than one way in which to do it. He's describing people who have the character of a reprobate mind. Now, these two sins are followed by four sins of extreme pride. Notice, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. There are some people who are haters of God. And these are folks who attempt to ruin God's reputation. Reprobates are acting like the devil. The word diabolos means slanderer. You know, I, I did a, a sermon about 15 years ago. Maybe I should preach it again. And I called it When the Devil Speaks. And what got my attention is I was studying John chapter 8. I did it on a Wednesday night. And in John 8, Jesus said, whenever the devil speaks, he speaks a lie. Because he's a liar and the father in lies. And immediately spurred to my attention, how many times in the Bible does the devil speak? You see his activity from Genesis to Revelation, but you hear his voice just three times. Genesis 3, when he slanders God before men. Job 1, when he slanders man before God. And Matthew 4, Luke 4, when he slanders the God-man. He is a slanderer. And it's interesting that after gossip and slander, he uses this one Greek word that we translate haters of God. It seems at first out of order, but it's not because if you think it through carefully, it fits very well. The gossip and the slanderer tries to attack a, the person's character, but this kind of reprobate attacks the character of God. Now, he doesn't typically come right across and say, oh, you know, uh, I hate God and I'm a hater of God, but he has a way of doing it. He often attacks God's character in terms of God's values as expressed in Scripture or God's church. People continually say, oh, Community Bible Church is a cult. I remember hearing Adrian Rogers years ago, and he said, one thing that bothers me more than anything else is people go around town saying that Bellevue Baptist Church is a cult. That's what God-haters do. They ruin the reputation of God. Someone who's interested in the glory of God is protecting his reputation. But those who want to distort it, they, they, they're haters of God. Then he adds, notice, insolent. This is a word that describes pride mixed with brutality. It's pride with cruelty. It, it's the bully. I thought about it this week when I was in junior high in the seventh grade. I was the uh, seventh grade class president. And there was a kid there who hated me for it. And he was always trying to pick a fight and always wanted to fight me and my dad finally said to me, son, you're probably going to have to stand up to this young man. So one day after school, I said, look, meet me outside after school. And the crowd came, you know, the fallen, Adamic nature loves to see a good fight. And I hit him and he hit me and we we're both crying when we were done. We never became best friends, but he never bothered me again. I can tell you that much. But you see, some little boys... Get entangled in sin. The sin that so easily entangles you. And they never grow out of this. And they yell names at people. They punch people. They, they show road rage. They are angry with the waitress or the retailer who's waiting upon them. They, they threaten people. They push people. They holler out their point of view. Slanderers. Haters of God. Insolent. Notice next. Arrogant. This is a person with a pedestal mentality. This is a person who's filled with himself and he considers himself better than others. 
He thinks of himself as superior. And so very often other people are unworthy of his time. He's often one who's not really out of a heart wanting to serve others. He wants others to serve them or to take advantage of them. And for the arrogant person who's been given over to a depraved mind, he often puts himself above God by his activity. He thinks he is smarter than God because the Son of Man came to serve and not be served, to give himself a ransom for many. And then after arrogant comes, notice, boastful. The arrogant person who in, uh, describes a person uh, in terms of um, what he can be, but the, the boastful person really more in terms of what he says. He brags about himself. He will often manufacture things that are not true just to make himself look better. Now remember, Paul is giving us the anatomy of man. And some of these same sins Paul will challenge the church with. While this may be not what principally characterizes them, Christians can be guilty of these same sins. Recently, uh, we read about a lost man who fell into this category. He claimed to play hockey for the Detroit Red Wings. He said he was married to a Mexican actress. Uh, he said he rescued the American ambassador during the, during the Iranian conflict. And then more recently, he said he was a retired Marine and received the Medal of Honor. And of course, uh, when that hit the fan, the government tried to prosecute him under the Stolen Valor Act, and they found him guilty, but he appealed to the Ninth, Courts, uh, Ninth Courts, Court, Circuit Court of Appeals. And uh, under the First Amendment, they said he was not guilty. Now, of course, his case is in the Supreme Court, and we'll hear in another month or so what they think. I don't know what the Supreme Court is going to say, but I can tell you what God thinks. He's already made it very clear what his take is on this. He doesn't like boastfulness. And sometimes it's true in the church. Sometimes God can't use an individual or a group of individuals because they're too busy patting themselves on the back. Or maybe a person does it with a false sense of spirituality. They're, they're always telling you that they're praying when they're not. Or when they do pray, they let you know about it. Then he adds, notice, inventors of evil. They, they devise, they contrive evil plans. Plans that are invented that are not good but evil. God is the creator of good. Man is the creator of evil. So someone develops as a means of global communication. What we call the internet. A man runs with it and he invents all kinds of evil through the internet. Or there's the world of fashion where people in that profession are habitually creating new ways in which to showcase sensuality. That's what a reprobate fallen mind does. They are an inventor of evil. Notice, then he begins to describe the breakdown of the family, those who are disobedient to parents. Now, it may seem odd that this is on the list because all of us at some point have been disobedient to our parents. But remember, he's describing some of the reprobate fallen minds. The fifth commandment is to honor your father and your mother. Someone called the Bible line or emailed, we're listening live from China on Tuesday. I think it was a Chinese person. And they wanted to know because in the Chinese culture, it's wrong to speak bad of your parents. 
And yet there are all these Christian books that are being translated and other things where some Christian speakers, they'll talk about what a wicked background they had and how bad their parents were and, you know, on and on and on. And they wanted to know if this was right. No, it's not right. That's dishonoring to your parents. God doesn't say honor your parents if they were just good people. Honor your parents, period. And don't think that being disobedient to parents as a way of life is a small thing. It's a wicked thing. In fact, Paul describes it as a sign and a mark of the last days. Realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. Why? Because men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers. And then he adds disobedient to parents. Rebelliousness against parents is a mark of the last of the last days. And then he will describe such people as holding to a form of godliness. Although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Let me speak to the teenagers for just a moment. If as a way of life, you are being disobedient to your parents, I don't care if I baptize you or you're a member of this church or you show up at youth group or you read your Bible. I don't care how religious you are. You have a bogus faith, Paul says. You have outward show without inward reality. It's sterile. It's pseudo-Christianity. And it's logical and will lead you straight to hell. Paul goes on to give four more sins that mark a depraved, reprobate person. Notice verse 31. He's describing now the, the destruction of all basic relationships. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Without understanding. It's a scary thing. It's a scary thing that a person can actually develop a learning disability when it comes to spiritual things. You know, some people, you, you talk to them, you explain it, you're, you're functioning in the power of the Spirit, it's just like there's a, a veil over their eyes. That's what Paul says. They have developed a, a learning disability when it comes to the things of God. They're without understanding. They're spiritually blind. They're spiritually stupid. They may be a theologian and think they are so smart. Notice then he adds untrustworthy. Literally, as the King James puts it, they are covenant breakers. These are people whose handshake you cannot trust as a way of life. They're untrustworthy persons. It might be a person who, who makes your promise and they don't keep it. Why? Because they have no real care for the feelings of other people. It might be as small as not keeping an appointment as a way of life or, or, or not following your responsibilities or it might be as big as breaking your marriage vows or signing a treaty in which you have absolutely no intention of keeping. And a society that will abandon God will be filled with these people. The next on the list is unloving. In Koine Greek, there are four words for love, three of which make it into the New Testament. This is one. It's the word storge. And it's used in the Bible to describe natural affection, the, a family kind of love between parents and children. And again, whenever you put the prefix ah in front of it, alpha, it means just the opposite. He's saying without natural affection, such as the kind of affection that you would expect to see between a mother and a child or a child and his parents. And again, in 1 Timothy 3, this is given as a sign and a mark of the last days where there's a breakdown of the family. And when it lasts long enough, you develop emotionally sick people. 
There'll be child neglect. There'll be incest. And there'll be crimes of violence between children and between children and their parents. The final word on the list is the word unmerciful. And it's interesting that this is the last characteristic of a perverted, distorted, depraved person in culture. It's a person without a shred of compassion. It could be translated ruthless. The gladiatorial games of the first century were like this. People as a form of entertainment would go into those great coliseums and they would love the gore and watch people be killed by animals and men killing men as a form of entertainment. Remember, the first coming will be like the second coming. And so though I've not seen the movie, I know what its theme is. Children killing children. That kind of violence. And we think that's normal. We think that's entertaining. It's the spirit of the Antichrist at work. How would you like to live in a society like this? My friend, this is what America is becoming very, very fast. And the sad reality is that with every decade that goes by, verse 32 becomes more prolific. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, a society that no longer fears God, not only engages in sin, they become evangelists for sin. They not only do the same, they give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is the depth of depravity, be it an individual or society at large, that encourages and applauds evil. And when a culture in their communication with each other says that sin is good and good is to be looked down on, then that culture has become what Paul is describing. And so the theme here in verses 23 to 32 is that a rejection of God brings an acceptance of sin. And an acceptance of sin will bring an approval of sin. And an approval of sin will bring an applause of sin. And that's where we are. And that kind of society is ripe for judgment. Now, how does this apply? Let me make three applications as we close. Let me pose them in the form of questions. Number one, when we, when we look at this anatomy of sin, do you think of yourself by nature as a pretty decent person or someone who is sinful and depraved? How, how do you think of yourself when you read this list? Now, it is true that God in this portion of Scripture is describing those people who are running from him, who are suppressing the truth about him. But please understand, though you may have never walked down this road, you and I have the exact same capacity. Why? Because we have all inherited this exact same Adamic nature. And when Paul is describing the pagan Gentile, he's describing what capacity you and I have. There's not a sin on this list that you are not incapable of committing. And that is going to become very important to the apostle in helping us to understand both our justification and our sanctification. Be careful. You who thinks you stand lest you fall because there's not a temptation in this world that can overtake you but that is not common to all men. And then understand it in terms of your justification. This is what God saved you from. You and I who are rotten to the core. Remember on that last week of the Lord's life when he went in a second time in his ministry and he cleansed the temple 
And the religious leaders confronted him. They're all bent out of shape. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Meaning we didn't. So Jesus responded to their question with a question. He said, you answer me, I'll answer you. The baptism of John, what was its source? Was it from God or was it from men? And they are in this conundrum and they get together in this holy huddle. And they begin to think, ah, if we say it's from God, then why didn't we respond? If we say from men because we fear men more than God, the folks will be mad at us because they like John. And so they say, we don't know. And so Jesus says, neither will I tell you. And so instead of answering their question, he goes on and he tells a parable. Let me read it to you. What do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? Well, the answer is the obvious. They said the first. They answered correctly. Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. That's the context of that verse. Their actions prove, Jesus said, that they're like the second son. Listen, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. They stood condemned. They were stunned by Jesus' words that the immoral prostitutes and tax gatherers whom he ate with were more viable candidates for the kingdom than they were. And really these two sons represent two classes of people who are present in that day and present in this day. The self-righteous religious man who really doesn't think he's all that bad and therefore has no need and then those who are sinful and know they are sinners. Of course, when John came to the religious crowd, they didn't humble themselves and repent. But the non-religious crowd, many of them did. But listen, your nature, like my nature, has the same capacity, whether you've done all these things or not. Remember what Jesus said to that woman who was immoral, and with her tears, she washed his feet. With her hair, she dried them. And Simon, the Pharisees, all bent out of shape. And Jesus, at the end of that discourse, says, He who is forgiven little, loves little. He who is forgiven much, loves much. I had a pastor that I was listening to one day. He said there are some people who will love Jesus greater in this life because they are just wicked, fallen people who were rescued. And they know so acutely their forgiveness and so they will love much. And they will have a greater love and passion than others. And I wanted to stand up and say how wrong you are. Because by revelation... This is why Paul, among other reasons, is giving us his text. He's cutting us open. And he's showing us for what we are by nature. So how do you think of yourself? Secondly, let me ask, 
If God's wrath is being revealed today, do you believe his wrath will be revealed in the future? You see, this is God's wrath that is being revealed. And it's only in microcosmic form a picture of the wrath that is coming. You find hell offensive? That's how much God finds sin offensive. If you find an offense looking on the horrors of hell, then you know how offensive it is for God is holy to look upon the horrors of sin. And when you understand that truth, it ought to grip your hearts and praise that he has delivered you. And it ought to move you with compassion to tell a lost world how they can be found forgiven. Third and finally, have you escaped the wrath to come? If you will receive Jesus as Lord, I guarantee when you die, your name will be in the Lamb's book of life. If you will receive him as Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. If you receive him as Lord, he will make you a temple of the Holy Spirit and God will become so real to you in a way like you never ever truly imagined. You will know him like you never thought you could know him. But you have to respond. It's your choice. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit who by his breath gave the Apostle Paul these words that when we open your word, it's you that are speaking. Thank you, our Father, in your mercy. You rescued us, those who can do no good, for there is none righteous, not even one. But with the precious, perfect, sinless blood of Christ, your wrath was satisfied so that when one believes, they escape the wrath that is here and the wrath that is to come. Oh God, I, I, I pray today that you would take these truths and bring them deep into the hearts of those that know you that we might grow in the grace of Jesus Christ all the more and for someone here father who feels they are in the depths of the very text that we've looked at help them to know that Christ Jesus receives sinful man that it's a trustworthy statement that he came into the world to save sinners that whosoever will may come that whoever will call on his name will be saved salvation is not something you earn it is a gift that you receive would you in simple childlike faith say Lord Jesus save me Father, may our lips as believers be open in praise and ready to share. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your holy and precious and magnificent name. Amen. To listen again to today's convicting message on the depravity of man entitled Anatomy of a Sinner, use the Search the Scriptures app for iPhones and Android devices or on your web browser, visit searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478. Today's program is number ROM5. We are encouraged to hear that the spike in coronavirus cases seems to be on the decline. 
Nevertheless, when the Delta variant arose, the state of Israel again suspended travel into the country. This caused us to have to cancel our trip, which was originally scheduled for October. But we're now planning to go in May of 2022. So if you missed out on the deadline for the 2021 trip, you now have until February to register. Get all the details on this amazing trip to the Holy Land led by Dr. Brogy by visiting stsisraeltour.com. The Israel trip is made possible exclusively by those who are participants. Tomorrow we move into Romans chapter 2 and begin a look at the deadliest sin in the world. Join us then as we search the scriptures.